This is Easter week, the glorious week, and I hope that you are making it a point uh, throughout the week to start to think about what the Lord went through. And uh, as we finished up uh, in Ephesians about the spiritual battle, this is the week where the Lord goes to battle for you and for me. And I wanted to uh, go back this week, and I don't know if you noticed in that song that we first sung, it was a song that the tune was a little off. It was a different tune than I thought. It was written in 1550. But uh, there's something about that song uh, that ties into what I want to talk about today is in, in going back to Psalm 24. Now, we haven't gone into the Old Testament as such, but we're going to camp on this passage for a while this morning because there are certain things I want you to see. And here's what they are. I want you to see, if you look at that passage, there are four, four points we're going to jump around. It's the background, the playground, the holy ground, and the battleground. As we move into this passage, you're going to see uh, these four aspects and some, and some implications for us as believers. But as we go through those points, there are some questions that I'm going to ask. Uh, I ask myself and I ask of the text, but as we get into it, it's going to talk about this creator of glory. Who is the creator of glory? Who can ascend into glory? Who does the battle and wins the glory? And who is this king of glory? And so as you think about all this idea of glory, 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 uh, glory is one of these religious words that I never understood as a Christian. So if you were to translate the word into English, into the vernacular, what you would say to your neighbor who doesn't know religious words like glory, what word would you use besides glory? Can't use glory. What word would you use? What? Magnificence? Love? Glory. We talk about an athlete in, in full peak performance is full of glory. When you talk about someone who's at the magnificent, optimal performance, you talk about beauty. The beauty of the dance. The you talk about wisdom. You talk about awe. When you talk about glory, who is this God of beauty? Who is this God of wonder? Who is this God who wins our hearts, attracting us to such a wonderful amazement? Look at him. Who, who is he and what does he do? Well, here's the background. As you get into this Psalm 24, this Psalm, as, long, as well as Psalm 15, they're called the entrance Psalms. And they're the beginning uh, of the worship service when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple uh, in Israel. But they're called entrance Psalms. And this is Psalm 24. And he says, he begins, the earth is the Lord's and the, everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Uh, King James, the fullness thereof. The earth, he's saying, belongs to Christ. And as you look at the earth in the beginning, when God created the earth, he says that this place in the universe in particular is mine. He's the uh, land owner. He's the earth owner. He's the uh, one who created it. But he says, everything in the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let's see if I can get that up there. 
I hope this goes. <laughs> the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now that's the background playground. Let me shut mine down. And so as, as I'm working through this, um, hang on just a minute. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that God wants us to know in the, um, from this psalm is that God created everything in the universe. And so this universe, this earth, is his from the beginning. It's not your idea. It's not my idea. It's his. And it says, the world and all it contains. Now, when you stop to think about everything that, that is in the earth and all that it contains, everything you see belongs to Christ. Everything. Now, you know that. But when you think about when God created the world in the beginning, the world was alive and there was motion because God was moving over the surface of the deep. As you know, the Spirit of God was hovering, creating, uh, moving in such a way that out of this chaos, God was going to create glory. He's going to create beauty. And so he created everything in it by splitting the ocean and from the ocean, he says in Psalm 24, 2, he founded it upon the seas and he established it on the waters. And as God moves the waters back, the land comes up. But those waters, those waters were also filled, the fullness thereof, with everything that got, came into God's mind. And so God filled the oceans. And, and so when you think about what God did on the earth, what he did to fill the earth. He furnished the earth with all kinds of things. Things that you may not think about, like uh, these guys. It comes up. You wouldn't think about dolphins. God did. Now, why would God create dolphins? Because God loves dolphins. You see, this universe, this earth, is God's playground. God loves creation, and he's so creative, that, but God does. And so there's a multitude of things that he's created that you don't even enter into your mind. David said, if I were to count these things, it'd be too numerous. I couldn't even consider all that God has done, which is what I want to do is to open your eyes to see all that God says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything you see is his playground. Everything God does in the universe, he loves sunsets. He loves sunrises because this is his playground. When he paints the blue sky like he did yesterday, what a wonderful blue and the green uh, grass coming. I thought, Lord, you are an artist. You are having fun with your palette just painting this world. Every day the Lord has joy. Every day, he's excited about all that he makes. And so on this land, he, he splits and the water comes up and all of a sudden there's herbs and there's food and there are things that are going on that as he's enjoying creating, this is his workbench. This is his playground. God loves everything he creates. And therefore, he loves not only the creation, but he loves color. God loves to paint the world in color, not just black and white, not just glass and steel. But he loves color. Have you noticed that? What's your favorite color? You have one. God has 
thousands and thousands and thousands of colors. But he loves colors, as you do too, because he knows the colors would please you, as do smells and music. But here's the claim that I want you to get. The biblical claim is everything you see and touch and experience, everything comes from the Lord of glory. The beauty, the wisdom, the power, the wonder, the amazement. Things that you wouldn't even think about. Ox, musk ox in the mountains. Who cares about these guys? Who cares about the drought? The snakes, the the stink bug. All these things that God has created with wonder. With wonder. And so as you think about what the Lord does, He says the earth is the Lord and everything else in the world is His. He made it. He likes lions. He likes tigers. He likes monkeys. He likes everything. But when you get to the passages where it talks about animals, um, Paul uh, and Moses and Paul both bring up this issue about the law and, and the ox. Thou shalt not maul the ox that treadeth the corn. And so when Paul brings out this law, is he trying to bring it out that you don't just have a law that you shouldn't do? No. Is God concerned about the oxen? That's the point. Does God care for the oxen? Now, these aren't thoughts you would think about because you don't make the oxen. You don't think about the oxen. But every day, God thinks about every animal on earth. Every animal. And therefore, he's not concerned just about the oxen. But if, if a, cow, a cattle were to fall on the Sabbath, off you would go and break the Sabbath to take care of your ox or your donkey or your cow or whatever. Because God's concerned about every human living thing. And he says this, Jesus did, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will, fail, will fall to the ground apart from your father. From the biggest to the littlest creature, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, now we understand that. And that's why David would say, well, man, when I think about all these things, when I consider the work of your hands, I have to scratch my head and say, well, well, who is man? What is man that thou dost concern yourself for him? And notice in the NIV, it says, what is mankind? What is mankind that you think about all the people, that you are mindful of them? God is not only concerned about the animal world and the fruits and vegetables, and he's concerned about the peoples of the earth, human beings that you care for them. And, and so David starts off, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's what you said, the word majesty. There's a glory. He, he's created all these things and he created all of us. That you have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Not only in the earth, but in the cosmos. But he says, for the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you start with strength. And God gives everything life to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. So, so if God makes all the world and, all, and everything in it, and then he makes all these peoples, then we come to this passage in Psalms that this God, as he opens the door, is going to open up the temple. And so he makes 
every inhabitant of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And when you come into the Old Testament, you come into the book of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Now here's a question for you. God made the Hebrews, we know. He chose the Hebrews, we know. But is Father Abraham the father of the Jews? That's a question mark. Is he the father of the Jews? Yes? No? Yes? No? He is not the father of the Jews. He's the father of the nations. Now that's an interesting. He's because Abraham wasn't Jewish. There were no Jews back in that day. He was the first one. And therefore, he was the first one called. And listen to the covenant. The Jews were special people that God created for various reasons. But first of all, it would be through the line of Abraham that the Messiah would come. It would be through the Jewish people that the scriptures would come. It would be through the scriptures and the and the and the faith of Abraham, that the covenant would be established with all the inhabitants of the earth. And not only would they be the established covenant, but they would be a kingdom people that would be exclusively worshiping the God of glory. They were a kingdom people, and they were to be the people that would be the the mediators to the nations. We are witnesses to the God of heaven of all the earth that we are his people and he has given a covenant to us alone. The people belong to Christ. The people belong to God. And therefore Abraham got this covenant. And if you go back in the covenant, it says, I will make thee, Abraham, a great Gentile. The word is goy. Goyim. It means nation. It means people. That, that for you, Abraham, I will make you a father of the Goyim, of the Gentiles, of the nations. Never is this word used for non-Jew. Never. And so what I'm saying is that from the beginning, the earth is the Lord's. God's chosen this people to pr- produce through all the nations, all people on the earth that do dwell will worship him. And so this covenant comes to the nations. Uh, and thou, Abraham, shall be a father of many Gentiles. The father, Abraham, of many Gentiles? That's not the way most people read that passage, but that's what that means. Father Abraham. And they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And so the idea that God is creating all the inhabitants and he's created a people to reach those inhabitants. And the Lord said um, in 20, 25, 23, the Lord said to her, Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, the son of Abraham, two Gentiles are in your womb. Two Gentiles, not one Jewish and one non-Jewish. They're two Gentiles. It, it doesn't get the idea that These are God's creations. Both of these babies were God's creation. And so uh, his seed uh, will become the seed of a multitude of Gentiles among the nations. Now this is what I want you to see. God has inhabited, uh, furnished the earth with peoples of all kinds. And you've got to understand that if you're an Indian man, if you're a Spanish woman, a Vietnamese, or an American uh, a woman, God knows you and made 
you, to enjoy you. For the very purpose of joys the flowers and the animals. But you were created for the very purpose of joy, of delight. God loves the world and he enjoys the world. And therefore he created everything in the world for his pleasure. You bring Christ joy. You are the delight of his eye. And when you think about that, you have to understand that God created every human being on earth. He's concerning everyone on earth with the same desire. I made you for myself. The, these folks who are in different religions, the Muslims, uh, the Buddhists, the Shinto, the Hindus, the Catholics, uh, the, the Protestants, you've got to understand don't misunderstand that every single inhabitant of earth is the focus of Psalm 24. God loves people, and he made lots of them. Now, no matter whether they know it or not, they could be in a cult. They could be deceived. They could be in a different realm altogether. But know that all the inhabitants of the earth were created for his pleasure. Every single one. And therefore, when you walk by any human being, any human being, then you know you're stepping into the presence of glory. If C.S. Lewis were here, he'd say, if you understood and you saw each human being as God sees them in heaven, you would be tempted to fall down and worship the, create, the creation. But we don't do that because God is the creator and he simply displayed his glory in every human being. And that's why the human is at the apex of all creation. Because the human displays the very character and image of God. In all peoples. Whether it's Mexican, uh, Russian, uh, any kind of people group that you want to mention. Uh, God loves all these people around the world. And by the way, do you know how many, how many languages there are in the world? 5,375. God loves Thessalonian Baptist, but he loves everybody else in the world with the same intensity because God loves the people. And he made them full of energy because he starts the world with energy moving through the, the seas and from the beginning, from big, he gives strength. And there they go. <laughs> you can't contain them. God loves the world. So he starts this passage, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Therefore, yesterday when I walked through Walmart, I said, I looked at every individual and I thought, this is the glory of God. This is the glory of God. This is, and I just quietly said, God, you made this one. You made that one. You made this one. And I walked through Walmart for the 15 minutes and I was thinking, you made all these people. You made them to be enjoyed. And they don't know it. They may know it. But I went through glory, glory, glory. Beauty, wonder, wisdom, story. I, it was an interesting way to change my thinking. But it says, God made all these people. Now the Jews would start their worship service with this claim, God, you are God the creator. But, but, the Jews didn't believe it. Because if you go into the thinking of the Jewish people, they had a hard time believing that God loved the Gentiles. Right? What's the story of Jonah all about? You want to send me over to where? 
to Nineveh, that's our ISIS territory. That's the Iranian. That's a foreign. That's not. No, no, no. You want me to go over to Nineveh? And Jonah said, no, I don't want to do that. And so there was a prejudice, a, a sensitivity that God's only, God's chosen people are the only ones that God's interested in. No, no. But God was interested in other nations as well. And therefore Moses went to Egypt. And you see judges battling local gods because all the things on the earth belonged to him. In, in Elijah's time, there were many widows. But God only went to Zarephath and healed this Gentile woman. In the time, uh, besides the Ninevites, Naaman the leper, the Syrian was healed. Paul went to the Gentiles. You see, the whole movement of Scripture is God's going to move through all corners of the world to reach all inhabitants of the earth. Because God loves everyone, the Jews didn't understand that. They were called to be a witness to the nations, but they turned inward and they forgot their call. Therefore, God says, I'm going to move out. I'm going to move into all roads, take them. And wherever people are, wherever, wherever cities and roads take them, I made it. I made the land that they drive on. I made the, the material that they build with. This is my world and all the peoples of the earth. They are my peoples. And so whatever nation you have, as you run through those flags, you see this boy running up there. Uh, there's an understanding that all these nations... God created for himself. Every single nation this morning either is in a worship of a different God, whether they know it or not, the Lord God made them for his glory, for his pleasure. And they walk separate because they've fallen short of the glory of God. Now Matthew understood this. Matthew was the apostle that gave us the great commission. And Matthew said uh, that Jesus had all authority on the earth, in heaven and the earth, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of course, of all Gentiles, from the Old Testament to New Testament, here is the King of glory going forth and making disciples to learn who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Matthew got it. Paul got it. And so he says, these inhabitants of the earth uh, will be touched by the one who has all authority, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And this one full of authority is the one who owns the earth and the fullness thereof. And he gives you the fullness thereof in Christ, in everything. He, God fills you. God fills the earth. And therefore, as a Christian, we understand it's from this Christ, from his fullness, we have all received grace and truth. And now as creatures on the earth, we, we move from the background to the playground, and now we move into the holy ground. Because Paul or because David says, who can ascend into the very presence of the Lord? Who can ascend that hill from the universal to the particular? 
And he says, it is not because of your race. It is not because of the color of your skin. It is not because of the religious tradition. It's, there is a moral standard. And that standard is holiness. The issue of holiness means beauty. It means perfection, purity, sincerity, a full, full uh, orbed heart of passion and love. And if you have not lifted up your heart to a false god, or you have not neglected the God of glory, and your hands are clean and your heart is full, who is able to acquit them himself or herself of their sin? And therefore the problem, the problem in this holy ground, this one place is not just a, a localized place in Jerusalem. It's a metaphor to the mountain of the Lord. And Isaiah picks this up when he says, all the nations will come to this holy hill. This holy hill. Uh, and it will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations will flow in to bring them up that hill. It's always out to win the nations to bring them up that hill. But no nation, no religion, no race, no creation can enter into that holy hill without being destroyed by God's consuming fire of holiness. Therefore, we dare not approach the God of consuming fire because he's a holy God. And stepping into our presence, God needs to do something for us that we can't do. This week is that battleground. This King of Glory is going to step into your world, into your heart, to fill your heart with something that only He can do. Who may ascend that hill? Only the one who has the King in front of Him. He's going to do battle. And you know, you noticed that the first time it says, Who is this King of Glory? The first time it says he's the Lord of he is the Lord strong and mighty, strong in battle. That battlefield means that which is blocking you, fighting you, killing you. God Himself is going to take care of you. Why? If He created you and He thought, of course He you, wouldn't He go fight the battles for you? Of course He would. And therefore, this week, the battle is on. And God steps into that battle, and he says there are closed gates. There are barriers where Christ is not allowed in among the nations. But lift up those gates, open those doors, remove those barriers, because the king is coming for his inhabitants because they belong to him. They don't belong to Satan. They don't belong to another religion. They belong to only God himself. And there is the battlefield. This is the hill that the battle is fought on. The battle, the hill of Golgotha. As we move into this battle, God is going to cleanse the hearts of all those who are sinful. Cleanse the hands, cleanse the hearts. And he's going to say, if you are with me in the battle if you're going to step behind this king of glory, he is the Lord of the battle. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of creation. He is the Lord. 
And therefore we follow behind this king. The one who descended is the very one who ascended above in heavens to fill all things. There it is again. But this king of battle is mentioned a second time in this passage. Who is the king of glory? And the second time there is no battle. The second time the battle is over. The first coming is Christ moving into the temple. This is salvation. The second time he comes, he's coming with all the angels and, the, and as the Lord of hosts. And he's coming to redeem and pull back all the nations. Who is this king of glory? A humble king. A servant king. Who king is, knows that the very donkey that he created from the beginning would be the donkey, the particular donkey that would carry the Lord of glory. A humble king. And therefore, we sing Hosanna. This means the deliverance. This king has come, and when they laid before him, they broke out in song because they knew that the gates were open because of this one. Likewise, we celebrate and we honor, we glorify, we rejoice that there is one who fights our battles for us. Not just for us, but for every single human being on this earth. And therefore, you, church, are invited to be part of this whole movement on the earth to celebrate the fact that God has won the battle. It's a solemn battle this week. As you go into this Passion Week, understand God has fought and uh, will continue to fight this battle for every single nation, every single individual, because he is the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice. We simply rejoice that you're just not another local God, another popular God, another man-made God, another cultural God, another stack of stones, another temple that's filled with paint or, or plaster that's covered with uh, gold flyleaf. You are God, almighty, victorious in battle, who finds delight in his creation. You find delight in each one of us. And Lord, as we come into your presence this week to ascend that hill with you, we enter into the gates and ask that you would enter into us, that we would also have the same thinking that you have, the same heart that you have for the nations. Lord, would you receive this worship and, and be praised for we recognize who you are. You are the King of glory and we love you for that. So Father, Take these words, deepen our understanding, expand our understanding of who you are and who we are with you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.